Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, March 30th, 2012. I cannot believe what I'm going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. (laughs) It's... Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Unfortunately, there's a lot of designer spirituality out there, and some of it masquerades as Christianity when it isn't. And Christianity is not one of those things where you kind of smorgasbord borg together the things that you want, you know, and and craft your own Beverly Hills style spirituality. I mean, a little bit of mysticism, a little bit of pop psychology, throw in a you know just enough Jesus to make it sound Christian, and then presto, blammo, you've got Christianity. No, that's not how that works. In fact, that's called. Using old school biblical words, that's called idolatry. When we approach scripture, when we approach religion, when we approach God on our own terms, we make for ourselves designer gods, much the same way that folks make designer handbags or designer jewelry or designer clothing or things like that. And unfortunately, those designer spiritualities they can't save you. They can't save you. In fact, they'll damn you. The reason why they'll damn you is because God does not permit people to approach him on their terms. In fact, um, God himself has made the only way, the narrow way for us to be saved and to receive from him freely the forgiveness of sins And that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the Christian gospel is not a designer spirituality. It can't be made to cater to the jet set or to any other group for that matter. In fact, Christianity stands alone as the only religion that has any evidence whatsoever to back it up. And that's a crucified and risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who claimed to be the one true God, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Jews, in flesh, come to earth, 
perfectly living all of God's law without sin and dying as our substitute on the cross. And the message that we are to proclaim to all nations, and that includes rich and poor. That includes those who are in the middle class, those who are in the upper class, those who are destitute, down and out, and are penniless. The good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's sins against them. Really, you know, he propitiated the wrath of God by dying in our place on the cross. And we are to call, we are called to proclaim that message and sound biblical doctrine and not cater to people's idolatrous notions that they pick up from the culture or that they come into this world already hardwired into believing. The standard of truth is not what you or I think or feel is true. That's not the standard of truth. God's truth stands outside of us and calls us to have our minds and our lives transformed and renewed by the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. All right. Man. Okay, so I, t I told you at the top of the program, I cannot believe what we're going to be talking about in part on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I am <laughs> just at one of those moments, you know, have you ever, you know, do y'all remember, you know, growing up and then spending summers, you know, maybe like at the community pool or something like that? And then have you, I mean, have you ever had the experience where you're at the community pool, your local community pool, and they have a diving board? Or maybe they're one of the community pools that they have a diving platform. And maybe one hour a day, they open up the top level of the platform to allow people to jump into the deep end of the pool from, you know, the platform. And there's three levels, you know. Um, I remember uh, growing up that uh, I would visit my grandparents and uh, and they lived in New Hyde Park on in on Long Island in New York and uh, and I spent a couple of summers uh, with my grandparents on Long Island and there was a, there's a community pool not too far from my grandpa's uh, house and you know we would my brother and I were fish during the uh, the summer months we would be <laughs> in fact so much so that I would get freckles and I'd become a blonde kid. You know, I, I've kind of got uh, dark, sandy brown hair, but my my I, during the summer when I was growing up, I mean, I was a towhead, and my brother doubly so. But anyway, um, you know, because we we spent all this time in the, in the pool, and so my grandpa would take us down to uh, the community pool there in Long Island in uh, New Hyde Park, and uh, yeah, we would spend hours in the pool, and they had one of those platforms where you, 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 you they have the three levels, and I remember on one particular day, they opened up that top level, and I thought, you know, that has got to be the funnest thing in the whole world, so I climbed up to the top of that thing, top level of that platform, and I looked down and I said, there is no way... <laughs> Ain't happening. No way. I, you, you, you get, you get, you, you look down and your knees start knocking, and and you're realizing this was a bad decision. I'm having those same feelings right now uh, because, uh, oh man, I don't normally talk about things like reality TV shows or movie stars and stuff like that. Um, and and so on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to be doing. A couple of segments uh, where we're where we're going to talk about Kim Kardashian type spirituality slash Christianity, 
And uh, the reason this uh, is even being brought up is because of a Christian Post article that uh, I think went up yesterday or the day before, and somebody posted it on my Facebook wall. And as I was working things out for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I thought, you know what, this would actually be a decent topic. And so you got to understand something about me. I don't have a lot of time to watch television. In fact, I don't currently own a television. Um, it's you know, it, What happened is last summer, so it's 2010, last summer at the tail end of the um, – the tornado season here in uh, central Indiana, uh, we had a rip roaring thunderstorm come through and um, it fried the electronics on my television. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, um, I, well, I just haven't replaced it is what it comes down to. And, and so I have literally been without a working television really since about the end of May, beginning of June of last year. And so if I want to watch a program, I do it on Netflix on my laptop. In fact, my wife and I, you know, if we want to watch a program, if it's on Netflix or we watch a movie, it's on Netflix. And, you know, we sit in bed and watch it on my laptop. Um, and so, and you're going, well, how do you watch football? I'm glad you asked the question because, you know, football kind of sort of has been an important thing here in central Indiana. Although, <laughs> you know, Last season was uh, the most forgettable season ever, and now we've lost Peyton Manning. You know, and I'm beginning to wonder if maybe the reason why Peyton Manning got traded to Denver was <laughs> because of my constant um, snipes at uh, at Tebow during last football season. It just makes me wonder if there's some kind of karma thing going on there. Anyway, so um, <laughs> the the answer to the question is is that I have an old projector that. <laughs> I kid you not, you know, 800 by 600, you know, you know, aptitude, whatever, we projected onto a old cheap screen that I used to use uh, when I would teach Sunday school. So it's my old Sunday school projector and um, and, a, and a projection screen, and we hooked the telev- we took the cable box up to it using S-Video, and yeah, huge television, yeah, if you can call it that, but... It, Kind of, it kind of an ordeal setting it all up, and so I mean, we rarely put it together. Anyway, why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Okay, so bringing it all back, bringing it all back. So we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be looking at this Christian Post story. Um, I'm going to f- kind of bring some other things into bear because you know that. Be- what basically the long and the short of it is is that. I I'd never seen an episode of uh, Kim Kardashian's reality television program. Now I understand Ryan Seacrest is like the producer of the program, and I knew that because of the fact that uh, uh, you know last year I actually watched American Idol, and so uh, Seacrest would had mentioned it. He's like a seems like a busy guy, but anyway, so I'm aware of the program. I had seen Kim Kardashian in an episode. She made an appearance on uh, The Apprentice a few years back, and that was really kind of my first exposure to Kim Kardashian. But um, she's got a, you know, an article talking about Christianity and church in the Christian Post. And what I want to do is take a look at the designer Christianity that Kim Kardashian um, is involved in and basically ask the question, is this biblical Christianity? And uh, and maybe po- pose a, an alternate theory as to why Kim Kardashian is all of a sudden interested in Christianity and 
and putting on the church girl image. And I, I think it's more um, style or symbolism over substance here. And so we're going to we're gonna be taking a look at that. i got a quick video blog entry I want to take a look at from Perry Noble today. And just to kind of break things up a little bit, I've got, a, uh, I've got audio from a video from uh, the Gospel Coalition talking about old hymns for our day. But then in hour number two, we're going to continue with the Kim Kardashian theme, and I'm going to be reviewing a sermon from Kim Kardashian's pastor. Now, if you're familiar with the church that she goes to, the name of it is Life Change Community Church in Agoura Hills, California. And um, her mother, Kris Jenner, is like one of the co-founders of the church with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Brad Johnson. And um, interesting combination, but Brad Johnson seems like a, a nice guy. Um, he's actually, you could tell he's well-educated, he's he's care, capable of using polysyllabic words, and he cleans up really nice. But the problem is is that, for the most part, his his expertise really has to do with therapy and counseling and, and and psychology and things like that. And this is what comes through in uh, his uh, sermon. So we're going to be reviewing a sermon by Kim Kardashian's pastor, Dr. Brad John Johnson, entitled Breaking Free, Ma Mo Maintaining Momentum. And so what's really kind of interesting is, is that that sermon, you know, Dr. Brad Johnson really strikes me as a guy who's influenced by two things primarily. Um pop psychology or even clinical level psychology and therapy and well Rick Warren's purpose driven stuff and so this is the, I mean this is what a designer spirituality slash religion looks and sounds like the problem is is that this designer spirituality and religion isn't biblical Christianity it's not historic Christian orthodoxy it's something completely different and uh, and at the end of this, you know, I I'll kind of tip my hand here. Um, we need to pray for uh, Kim Kardashian and Chris uh, Jenner and Dr. Brad Johnson because um, they're self-deceived. They're they're not actually believing the truth. And um, and what I I'll, I'll go ahead and put the offer out right now because in the uh, news article that we're going to take a look at, Kim Kardashian says that she wants to lead a small group Bible study. I don't think she's qualified to do that, and she does so really to her own danger, and I mean that spiritual, eternal danger. So I'll put put the offer out there. If if Kim is listening and she would like uh, somebody to help her uh, understand who the Bible's about and how to read it properly, I'll be happy to uh, offer my services to help her there. Um, I doubt she'll take up the offer. Uh, I'm probably the last type of person on earth she would want to get any kind of advice from. But that's okay. The offer's out on the table. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, and we're going to start off not on a Kim Kardashian note, but we're going to start off on a Perry Noble note, which requires me to do this. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I, I do it with a flower. And it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flower. 
first I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and puppycock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. With my moans and groans and soporific tones, they have cheered me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say. I said it when I tell it with a Yeah, There we go. Yeah, that's our, my, our Perry Noble update music. So Perry Noble apparently has a video blog. And I really hadn't even known that Perry Noble has a, a, a bona fide video blog, but somebody sent a link to me and uh, posted it on my Facebook wall. And <laughs> it's short, but <laughs> I have no idea where he gets some of these ideas. <clears throat> Here's Perry Noble. So the other day, I'm on the internet, and there's an article on multiple websites about solar flares coming toward the earth. I gotta be honest, I've never really worried about solar flares, but the article intrigued me enough to read about it and all the possible bad things that could happen because of solar flares. That just reminded me that you and I live in a world that's constantly trying to rob us of our joy. Never made that connection before. Solar flares prove that the world is out there trying to rob us of our joy. You know, <laughs> when I was growing up, I remember McDonald's. You know, they, all the different McDonald's characters they have. You know, they had you know Ronald McDonald and and anyway, one of them was the Hamburglar. You know, always trying to steal your hamburgers. And so those solar flares, they're just like the Hamburglar, you know. Those solar flares, they're part of the world's conspiracy to steal your joy. <laughs> really? We're robbed of our joy because the Internet says that solar flares are heading toward us. Or we made a bad grade in school. Or our kid made a bad grade in school. Or maybe they deserve the bad grade because they didn't do the work. That text message will not send. Or the Internet reception on our smartphone won't come in. Or we're calling traffic. We're constantly being challenged in the area of our joy. And oh, okay. at the end of the day, when our heads hit the pillow, I know a lot of people that experience moments of happiness during their week, but they didn't really experience any joy. What is it that brings us joy? Well, it's not solar flares. Is it a relationship? It is, a, is it a new product or a new hairstyle or whatever? You know what? This Sunday at New Spring Church, we're going to dive into the scriptures and see what is it that can really bring me joy in a world that's constantly trying to steal my joy through overwhelming circumstances? What can I... Uh, man, I mean, seriously. <sighs> really, so the world's trying to steal my joy. I mean, you see, that's why we sing that song. I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where down in my heart? Where down in my heart? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. So the world can't steal it, you know? That's where I got to hide it, you know? <sighs> Man. Um. <clears throat> Do, or what can I focus on that will always bring me joy no matter what I'm going through? That's what this Sunday's about. I hope I hope we see you here. Okay, so there you go. Perry Noble's video blog talking about how solar flares in the world itself have conspired to steal your uh, joy. Man, wow. Okay.
All right, what I'm going to do here now, I'm kind of looking at my uh, my docket, and what I, yeah, well, here's the deal. I think it would probably best if I did one long segment on the uh, on the Kim Kardashian uh, designer spirituality called religion type thing. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to switch gears, and I, I want to put something good into the mix, just something good to you know to that I think is an interesting discussion because. If you're familiar in Christianity with what's been waging for the, it seems like the last 30 years, is this thing called the worship wars, which I think is like, it's just, it's poorly framed. It's poorly argued in many cases, but I'm very happy to hear that guys who, for the most part, have been the big advocates for, you know, um, vapid 7-Eleven praise songs are all of a sudden discovering the depth of hymns again you know hymns are not a style okay hymns are not a style of music that i think that's a poorly framed way of looking at it instead hymns represent the great doctrines of scripture and the historic christian faith put to verse by by our fathers and even our mothers in the christian faith over the over the millennia and it, in fact, I've tweeted this out today that um, the second most used book. I was, I, I really realized this today that the, the second most used book in my library is my hymnal, and um, I, I don't think that a day goes by that I am not using my hymnal. And you're going, R- really, <laughs> really, <laughs> really? I, I, I've got a, uh, I've got kind of the handy dandy leather bound personal edition of the uh, Lutheran service book that I've owned this for many years now. Um, in fact, right after that uh, hymnal came out is when I, uh, I got a copy of this. And uh, it, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm in the Psalms in this thing. Um, I, a lot of times I'm, uh, I will per- do a personal version of matins or morning prayer or vespers or my favorite. My favorite is uh, Compline. And, um, yeah, CPH actually sells uh, the music to go along with uh, some of these uh, these uh, personal. I don't want to call them devotion times. It's kind of like the wrong way of putting it. But uh, they they sell the uh, the accompaniment music to go along with matins or uh, vespers or compline and things like that, so that you can follow along. And and so you know when I'm up in the morning. You know, I'm up in the morning doing matins. I'm up in the morning uh, singing some of these hymns. You know, daily I'm looking for uh, hymns to go with this. And if you're looking for the music to accompany a lot of the hymns, you can find them at lutheran-hymnal.com, I think. And um, it's just great stuff. And so I, I realize that, you know, really second only to my Bible, my my hymnal is the book that I'm wearing out on a daily basis. And, you know, it it really, really feeds the soul. It focuses me back on Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It represents maturity and depth, and there's real substance and meat. And over and again, it, it just amazes me. Some of the best hymns take what the, 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 the dogmaticians or the systematic theologians write about, and they write about it in a very academic kind of way. But they, they are able to distill these great doctrines down to verse in a way that they turn phrases that just go, oh, that's amazing, and uh, and so you know, I anyway, I I don't know how I'd function without my hymnal, but uh, I'm glad to see the folks at the Gospel Coalition discussing the importance of old hymns for our days. So what I want to do is I want to play a little bit of audio from this video, that's at the Gospel Coalition Vimeo account, 
and it's called Old Hymns for Our Days. And worth listening to this. Um, here, listen in. Well, brothers, uh, I thought it'd be good for us to talk a little bit about um, uh, hymns sort of generally, what's attracted each of us to hymns. Um, we've, you know, we've all made a, a significant... Okay, this is a gentleman by the name of Michael Cosper. ...significant investment of months and years into rewriting hymns, reintroducing people to hymns. Um, might be good to talk a little bit about why we think that's a valuable project of, and a valuable investment. Mm. I think one of the... Now, this is a gentleman by the name of Kevin Twitt. ...things that's attracted me to the hymns. I work with college students as a pastor to college students, and one of the things I'm really concerned about is they understand that the church is not just a passing fad, that the church is bigger than people that think like them and speak like them. Right on. And this is a guy who does college campus ministry. Nice point. And so putting the words of saints who've lived hundreds of years before who thought differently about things like suffering uh, and the gospel uh, in some ways than a lot of modern people do um, is really valuable. Hmm. You know, when I was growing up... Okay, this is Isaac Wardell. Growing up, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a broadly evangelical church, and the way that my church treated worship culture was to kind of divide everybody into their little groups, you know, so the junior high, the junior high program had their own worship program mm -hmm. and the high schoolers had their own worship program and the college students and so on and so forth. And so the whole time I was growing up, it really reinforced to me this idea that worship is basically a way for me to express myself mm -hmm. before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was really a powerful thing to me around the time I got into, went to college and I started going to a church where that it was it was a very multi generational church. Uh, I started going to a church multi generational. That's an important thing that had all of its worship together. They didn't have separate worship programs. Amen. And that was mostly around hymns because they were this. Uh, it was this particular kind of music that people in their teens, people in their twenties, and their thirties, and their forties, and and much older could all get behind. And even now at the church that I work at, um, we have a, uh, we have a nursing home worship program where mm. every Tuesday our worship teams go around and sing at nursing homes. Mm. And it's been such a benefit mm. to our young people, even as they mm -hmm. say, well, what do you guys want to sing? People raise their hands. And as you can imagine, yeah. they don't ask for things <laughs> for the latest hits. Right. They don't ask for the right. freshest cuts. They're asking yeah. for things that uh, have yeah. been dear to them for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done a funeral that didn't include hymns. Yeah. yeah. It's funny for us, we, we kind of came to hymns through sort of the back door because we were definitely more in sort of the contemporary worship stream when, when Sojourn was planted. And um, we, we kept sort of running into these roadblocks when we were trying to find, find songs that were resonant with the language of the Psalms mm -hmm. and resonant with experiences of suffering or experiences of confession yeah. and lament. Right, yeah, the latest bubblegum praise song, Seven Eleven mysticism is not capable of addressing the deeper struggles that we all face in this life. And so uh, that, that ultimately sort of led us on this road where we, we discovered, we discovered Sandra McCracken kind of mm. before we discovered Indelible Grace even. Mm. And, um, and which through Sandra led us to you guys, which led us back to the hymnal. And mm. um, I think for us, it's been an interesting thing because it was like, the other piece of it was was the creative piece, which was we, we wanted to write we wanted to write original material music that you know the music itself sort of sounded like our church and sounded like our people, but we wanted to write with content and depth. And we realized 
you know, we're 20 years old. <laughs> we don't have a lot to say. <laughs> and there's all these saints. Wow, what a confession. 20 years old, I don't have a lot to say. Amen. That have gone before who've said it so well. Mm. Um, and there's this also this sort of tradition of uh, it's okay to rewrite. It's okay to retune. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, maybe we could talk about that a little bit, the yeah. retuning. Like, have you run into objections, you know, <laughs> the fact, like, how dare you mess with this? Yeah. Um, and how do you feel about that? I mean, yeah. you've done some arrangements that were, that were not retuned. They were, mm -hmm. you know, just, uh, how do you, how do you measure that? How do you discern whether that's valuable to retune and, and, and not to? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really important question. One of the things we talk about at our church a lot is the priority of corporate singing mm. and this idea that, uh, you know, fundamentally these hymns are in many ways poems, like in many ways it really is about the lyrics, but at the same time uh, our purpose for them is for corporate worship. So the priority to me is always uh, that the text and the emotion that's being stirred actually mesh together in a way that people can sing together. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, uh, really, and many times in our congregation, that means just small tweaks. A lot of times that means us doing something harmonically to a hymn, mm -hmm. um, doing something to sort of give it more of a lift or to give it a little more gravity at times. But then, um, you know, there are certainly times when you find a beautiful text mm. where the tune that is familiar to people maybe just really is not adequate to express it. Mm. And in those times, I think that it's, um, that it's a great practice to sort of cultivate in our congregations the ability to see the yeah. beauty and the value of the text and to, uh, and to give new life to it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great conversation, folks. There's five more minutes left on it, and I'm not going to play it. But if you would like to see this, uh, it's on Vimeo. And uh, if you go to vimeo.com forward slash, I'll give you the numbers because Vimeo has new, uh, like a numerical system for their videos. So it's vimeo.com forward slash 240-55377. That's 240-55377. A good conversation, a mature conversation that embraces really some very important things. So, you know, because when, when we talk about the worship wars, it's poorly framed and the wrong argument altogether. When we talk about contemporary versus traditional, wrong way of putting it. The question is, what's the content of that song confessing and teaching? And believe me when I tell you, you can take the old hymns and you can put them in a more contemporary musical setting, if you would, and you're not going to lose the content. You're not going to lose it. And that is a resource, a gift that the his, the church historic, all of the saints who've preceded us have given us. And Christianity didn't begin yesterday or today. Uh, it's not a passing fad. Christianity is the one true religion created by the one true God, and those who've preceded us, who've, who've finished the course, run the race, and have lived their lives and suffered, bled, died, were martyred, and experienced all of the things that maybe even we won't get to experience, okay, including you know persecution and suffering like we have never seen. These are the things that are we inherit, and and the, this is a treasure trove for us. So I'm very happy to hear uh, the folks at the Gospel Coalition addressing this in a mature way. 
that goes beyond the question of traditional versus contemporary music styles. That's not really where the battle lines are drawn. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back, and we're basically after we get back, it's Kim Kardashian all the way. So hang on. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay-affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes! My goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent! Excellent! Now for the final step. You have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god. your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, designer spiritualities masquerading as Christianity aren't Christianity. They're just idolatrous religions masquerading as Christianity. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see our famous two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, warning. This is a warning, okay? Fighting for the Faith is not, is not uh, regulated by the FCC. (laughs) As a result of it, we don't have to uh, abide by particular rules uh, pertaining to language and things like that. As a result of it, I have made an executive programming decision, and that is is that I'm going to play for you right now the first five minutes of the very, very first episode of the uh, television program entitled Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Now, um, I'm also going to do this with the assumption that many of you have seen this program, and as I've heard from some of you on Facebook, some of you all are – required to watch this program with your spouses. <laughs> I can't I feel <laughs> terrible for you. But uh, that being the case, I I'm not going to edit or bleep out any questionable language. I think it's important to set the stage. So before we get into the story from the Christian Post, I want you to if you're not familiar with Kim Kardashian, whom I really have not paid attention to like at all this is my first exposure to kim kardashian's program keeping up with the kardashians so this is episode season one episode one entitled i'm watching you here is the first five minutes unedited uncensored so here we go i am starving don't you have a photo shoot tomorrow stop eating i think she has a little Now that's her mom, Kris Jenner, commenting. (laughs) She's like got the jiggles. Mom, she's always had an ass. Where did this come from? Well, a little cardio. (laughs) That is so like catty of you. What are you talking about? She said you have a lot of junk in your truck. I meant outside in your car. There's some stuff in your car. We need to get out. (laughs) I hate you all. 
Welcome to my family. I'm Kim Kardashian. The princess. Now that look, very similar to a look I've seen from Paris Hilton. She's in the building. I'm Chloe. My sisters say I'm a bitch. Who the f cares? Shut up, everyone. But I always have their best interest at heart. I'm Courtney. I'm the oldest and the most mature. I really think you should tighten your bikini top because your look really saggy. I'm Kris Jenner because I'm the mom. I'm the mom and Kim's manager. Okay, Kim, it's your world. I just live in it. Say what you want, but I know what's best for my kids and my husband. I'm Bruce Jenner. And this would be the Olympian and gold medalist, uh, Bruce Jenner. I am a pushover for my family. Kendall, sit down! Up to a point. And then Bruce and I together have Kendall and Kylie Jenner. My little Kendall. We're going to have two cocktails on the rocks. Yeah! You shouldn't be on the pole. <laughs> oh, my God! So it's six kids and two crazy parents. We're the modern-day Brady Bunch with a kick. Hey, 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 hey. There's a lot of baggage that comes with us. But it's like Louis Vuitton baggage. You always want it. Get off of me, daddy! All right, we're ready. No, no, no. You're right here. The wind, you guys? Is this necessary? No change. Oh. Awful. No, that is not cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're doing some kind of a family photo shoot here. I need someone to make me laugh. Where's Kim? Kim is always late. Oh. Get out of her way. Stop. Jealous. No. Stop. That's it, we're done. Money. So what do you girls have plans for today? Just getting ready for the party? Bruce and I have been married for 16 years, so we decided to have a little get-together tomorrow at the house and celebrate our anniversary. Who's coming to the party? The Cranes. And the Cokers. And the Miles. Is anybody gonna ask me who I invited? Do you have any friends besides my mom's friends? Yeah. There's no way to tone down anything with my mom. She wants a huge party, and Bruce would probably rather just do nothing or golf. Who'd you invite, Bruce? <laughs> no one? The only friends I have is my family. Those are the totally best kind of friends. I we'll never screw you over. Kim, what are you doing? So I just got a call from Tyra Banks people, and they want you to go on the Tyra Banks show. You want me to go on Tyra? Uh-huh. Tyra Banks has asked me to be on her show next week, and I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love Tyra. I know. How cool would that be? There's just one little catch. What? You'd have to talk about the tape. One of the things that Tyra's going to want to talk about is the sex tape. When I first heard about Kim... <laughs> the What? tape as her mother I wanted to kill her but as her manager I knew that I had a job to do and I really just wanted her to move past it I don't want to talk about it I know but you could just you know be honest and say how you feel and um, kind of just set the record straight yeah you could do that that was with my boyfriend of three years that I was very much in love with and whatever we did in our private time was our private time and never once did we think that it would get out I'm going to be Tyra, and you're going to be Kim Kardashian. So, what do you do for a living? <laughs> Tell me. I own a clothing store, and I'm a wardrobe stylist. Why did you make a sex tape? Because I was horny, and I felt like it. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Um. <clears throat> so uh, that kind of gives you a little bit of information about Kim Kardashian, which I think is going to be important for us to keep in mind. Now, right off the bat, we're, it, it would be really easy and tempting to say, well, <laughs> at least I'm not a sinner like her. <clears throat> yes, you are. Okay. Yeah, you are. In fact, based on the size of the, the listening audience of Fighting for the Faith, I am 100% confident that there are people who are listening to me right now on, on this program who've watched the Kim Kardashian tape that was discussed there. And so uh, don't think for a second that you are morally better or superior than uh, or to uh, Kim Kardashian. The, the Christian gospel message teaches us that we are all born dead in trespasses and sins. And my concern for Kim Kardashian is not that she has committed huge sins like this and has publicly discussed it and we all know something about her, which would probably be better left not known. Okay, but they broadcast this on television, which is a tragedy in and of itself. But my concern moving forward is, is that as we discuss the issue of Christianity as it pertains to Kim Kardashian, is this. Has she been brought to true remorse and repentance and sorrow for the sins that she's committed? And been told that Jesus Christ suffered was crucified, died, and was buried for those sins. Because truly, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, died for Kim Kardashian, and he died for you, and he died for me. It's Christianity teaches us that we there's nobody who's morally superior. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, even Jesus told a wonderful parable to Simon the former leper, the Simon the Pharisee. Jesus went and dined at his house. There's a story about this in, in several of the gospel accounts where Jesus goes and he dines at the house of, uh, of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And, well, one of those women, you know, the, one of those women, you know, uh, the, <clears throat> the morally loose women, crashed the party and was there, literally washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping it up with her hair, right? And Simon, the Pharisee, says, you know, knows that, oh, man, if, if Jesus knew who was touching her, he wouldn't allow her to touch her. And Jesus tells this wonderful parable. In fact, you know what? I'm not going to do it justice unless I read the account. We find the account, uh, I'm going to read this from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and I think it plays into our analysis here. Um, Luke chapter 7, I'll start at verse 36 so we get the, uh, the the overall context. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who it, what sort of woman this is that's touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
He answered him, Well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When neither of them could pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Neither of them can pay. That's the kicker in this. Jesus there clearly is referring to Simon as the debtor who owes less than the other debtor in this particular case, but neither of them can pay the debt. See, biblical Christianity teaches us that all of us, all of us are are dead in trespasses and sins. There's none righteous, not even one. And so here's the good news. The good news is that Kim Kardashian, like you and like me, is a prime candidate for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, Jesus didn't come to basically call the well, okay? He came to seek the lost, the sinner, right? So we know this about Kim Kardashian, that she, like me, like you, like all of us, well, she's a sinner. And my concern is this, is that is the designer Christianity that she's hearing at this church that she's going to, we're going to find out more about it soon, is this biblical Christianity where she would see herself like the woman who cleaned Jesus' feet? Because here's the deal. My sins are such that when I read this story, I relate far more to the woman who is a sinner, a sinner woman than the Pharisee, Simon. Yeah, it's just flat out true. I have far more in common with her than I do with the Pharisee. The debt that I've racked up in this lifetime is huge. And there's no way for me to pay it. No way for me to pay it at all. And if you're honest with yourself, you'd be able to say the same thing. So there's the idea. So my question is, is she fully aware of what Jesus has done for her and what that means? Has she been brought to complete sorrow and anguish over her sins? So that as Jesus here says at the end here, okay, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, um, he canceled the debt of both. Now here's the question. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one I suppose who had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, biblical Christianity, the real Jesus, he says to sinners, Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Right? That's 
the message of the cross. That's the message of the historic Christian faith, the forgiveness of sins won by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who do you relate to most in this story? The sinner woman or the Pharisee? If you would take a look at yourself honestly, according to God's law, then you would realize your debt's huge. Huge. And keep in mind, the one who is forgiven much loves much. Something to keep in mind. This is what Jesus taught. So, all right. Now, I played that little five-minute segment from her program so we can get an idea of what's going on here. Kim Kardashian, she's a sinner just like me. She's a sinner just like you. Okay, we we got that established. So she is a prime candidate for the forgiveness of sins and to hear from Jesus, go in peace. My concern, is she hearing that in the church that she attends? So we're going to change gears a little bit here. We're going to read a news story. In fact, i got to do this real quick. From the Christian Post. Dun, dun, dun. The headline reads, Kim Kardashian says she'd be lost without church after a tough week. Mm. All right, Kim Kardashian, 31-year-old reality TV star, was spotted attending Sunday service with her mother at Life Change Community Church in Agoura Hills, California, days after she was bombed with a bag of flour. Yikes. Okay, that doesn't sound good. Uh, Kardashian, who had uh, who has been going through a highly publicized divorce to Chris Humphreys, her NBA player husband of 72 days, yikes, told her Twitter followers that the church service helped her get through her week, which included being hit with a bag of flour during uh, an appearance. Quote, I would be lost if I didn't go to church to reflect back on my whole week, Kardashian tweeted. Today's service was awesome. Thank you so much, Brad S. Johnson. Extra special. Needed that. Okay. However, this is not the first time that Kardashian has publicly spoke about her spirituality. In an episode in her reality television show, Courtney and Kim Take New York, Kardashian confessed that it was hard to split from Humphreys because of his Christian faith. Quote, it's hard for me. He has a good heart. He's a Christian. Everything on paper I wanted, I want in someone. But for some reason, my heart isn't connected, she said in the episode. Okay. Uh, despite her recent divorce proceedings, Kardashian's family has been heavily involved with the Life Change Community Church, which was co-founded by her mother and its pastor, Brad Johnson. Khloe Kardashian, Kim's younger sister, was married to NBA uh, was married to NBA player husband Lamar Odom by Pastor Johnson in 2009, and the church recently celebrated its two-year anniversary. In 2011, in a 2011 interview with Piers Morgan, Kardashian spoke about tithing to Life Change Community Church. Quote, I give 10% away to the church, and that's what I was taught, Kardashian told Morgan, every year. Absolutely. In a 2010 interview with Josh Skinner, the Kardashian matriarch, Kris Jenner, confirmed the family's faith that was passed down to Kim and her sisters. Quote, even a family as crazy as ours can have a great relationship with God, Jenner said. After attending a church service at the beginning of 2012, Kardashian tweeted about starting private Bible study. Quote, I want to start a Bible study group with my friends, she tweeted. Okay. All right, so here's the question I have is, um, 
is Kim Kardashian really, truly having her real need addressed by the pastor of her church? That's the question. Or is this a designer Christianity for a girl who has a fetish for designer handbags and designer clothing and and things like that? That's my concern because here's the deal. If she is basically attending a church that has a designer spirituality that calls itself Christianity, then she's not having a real need met. And that is, is that she, like me and like you, needs a crucified and risen Savior. She needs her sins to be forgiven and to be for her to be brought to repentance and the forgiveness of her sins. And unfortunately, I have yet in my professional experience as a Christian apologist and theologian to find a church that, well, caters to the designer spirituality set that actually teaches the truth and gives the people in the congregation what they truly need, Christ and him crucified for sins. And I got to tell you, after spending some time reviewing several of the sermons by Dr. Brad at Life Change Community Church out there in Agoura Hills, California, I'm convinced that Kim Kardashian is not hearing the real story. And as a result of it, I could tell her with confidence that Christianity, biblical Christianity, is so much better, so much more amazing, so much richer and deeper than, well, the designer spirituality that she's getting. And I would base that on several things. Again, listening to several sermons by Dr. Brad Johnson. But let me read to you from Life Change Community Church's website. LifeChangeCommunity.org is where you can find this. When you click on the About Us section, um, they have a section called Our Core Values. Let me read to you the core values of Life Change Community Church. Quote, People are accepted. People can come as they are. We believe in authenticity. Salvation is a process. Confession is a lifestyle of truthfulness about ourselves and our spiritual need. Repentance is a lifestyle with momentum toward God and the life he offers. Faith is believing that through the death and resurrection of Christ, our sins are forgiven and that we begin a new life in relationship with God. People come to faith in Christ from different places in life and at different speeds, and that's okay. Spiritual formation is a process. Love for and trust in the leadership of Jesus Christ grows within us. We trust and love at different speeds and are at different levels. We have experiences of forward momentum, some stalls and occasional steps backwards. Christian maturity is both the possibility and the goal of Christ followers. God is for you. If he did not withhold Christ Jesus, we grow in the safe environment of God's love, which never changes, nor is it ever withdrawn, and we can begin again and again and again and again. Worship is an evident expression of our gratitude in the life of Christians for all God has done for us. The church must be biblical and missional. The message of Scripture never changes. The methods to communicate within culture do change. Relationships matter. Belonging to community and with others in the church is vital for spiritual growth. Strange language. And then I read a little bit about <clears throat> Pastor uh, Dr. Brad Johnson. And in fact, um, there's a blurb here. here. Here's what it says about Dr. Brad Johnson. Dr. Brad Johnson has just released a new book on relationships. 
The Four Laws of Forgiveness, How to Forgive Yourself and Others. The book hit number two on Amazon's Kindle bestseller list on the day of its release and number four bestseller for relationships on Amazon during a 24-hour tracking period. Pastor Brad has counseled literally thousands of people over 30 years as they've walked through the transitions of life and love. A common theme through those years has been, How Do I Forgive?, Capturing spiritual principles, real-life examples, humor, and his own ex experiences of forgiveness and redemption, Dr. Johnson offers hope and help in this provocative and insightful new book. Okay, so, um, yeah, um, I'm not really hearing the historic biblical Christian faith. I did hear something about... Christ and his forgiveness, but it's hard to make sense of it with all of the other stuff that's that supposedly there to explain it or whatever. This sounds like a psychological, purpose-driven, based designer spirituality that has some Christian language to it, but I'm not necessarily convinced that we're dealing with the historic Christian faith. So, what we're going to do here right now is we're going to pause, okay? We're all kind of building the case here. And um, so, you know, I, I'm glad to hear that Kim Kardashian goes to church and that she'd be lost without church. My concern is, is that the church that she's attending may actually, in the long run, be harming her rather than helping her with her real ultimate need. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do a sermon review. We're going to listen to a sermon by Dr. Brad Johnson, and uh, it's about breaking free and ha maintaining momentum, something to that effect. So um, if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Higher Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Still can't believe I'm doing a Ken Kardashian segment. This is not an attempt at relevance on my part. At all. In fact, I'm probably messing this up. Ugh. All right, let's cue up our sermon review music. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Life Change Community Church, Agoura Hills, California. Dr. Brad Johnson presiding. The name of the sermon is Breaking Free, Maintaining Momentum. The blurb for the sermon goes like this. Everyone has hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's a phrase from Rick Warren. What everyone may not know is how to break free from those. In this eight-week series, Pastor Brad will teach eight principles that have changed thousands of lives around the world. Listen to all eight messages and learn how to break free. See, already we got a problem here. It sounds like Brad's psychological practice is getting in the way of sound biblical theology that would be my suspicion right up right at the top all right let me kill the music so without any further ado here is kim kardashian's pastor dr brad johnson talking about breaking free and maintaining momentum here we go if you will grab your outline we're going to start in what is now week seven of an eight-week journey called Breaking Free. How do you get past your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups? We all have them. Everybody here has been hurt. Everybody has hang-ups that's interfered with your life over and over again. Everybody has habitual patterns of behaving or believing, acting or reacting that at times has been problematic and sometimes even self-destructive, and we wonder, how can we get past them? Well, the good news is, over these last, the previous six weeks, now, I want to make something clear. The What he's describing here sounds like our sinful nature doing what it does, sin. Now, sin takes on all kinds of different forms and patterns, patterns that are self-destructive, 
patterns that have to do with habits and things of that nature, or you can even say addictions. But ultimately, all of those things are a species of the main problem, and that is, is that each and every one of us, you and me included, we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. So if we're going to handle this type of a topic biblically and in a way that's Christian, that means we have to deal with the cross. Because the way our sin is dealt with, the way sin, death, and the devil himself are conquered is not by by applying psychological principles or designer spirituality. Nope, they're all conquered by a bloody sacrifice of the Son of God who was beaten and scourged and chastised and basically all of our sins were laid upon him. As Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. You can't deal with the sin problem apart from Christ. To do so is ultimately... To fail. And Christianity isn't about failure because Christ has conquered. Christ has defeated all of these foes already. So you can't, you can't conquer sin apart from the cross. We continue. Some people are seeing real change take place in their life where they had felt stuck and some people even hopeless. Like, I don't even know if there's an answer for my life. People are beginning to make progress. The question becomes then, how do I continue my momentum? Here's what we think. Whenever we start to grow spiritually, whenever we start to heal emotionally, whenever we start to get past a problem, we think that once it's done, we've fixed it, and now we're on to the next thing, and it's not going to be an issue in my life again. That's typically not how life happens. It's certainly not how spiritual growth happens. Here's how spiritual growth happens. Two steps forward, one step back. Okay, uh, Dr. Brad, um, uh, you got any biblical passages that say that? I know that in your experience in counseling folks and in therapy, this is, this is probably a valid inference from experience. But the job of a pastor is to preach the word, and our experience doesn't dictate what is sound biblical doctrine, especially when it comes to forming the foundation of what it is that you know constitutes spiritual growth and what sustains that spiritual growth. So we've got a problem here is that you are at this point are basically just giving us your opinion, not telling us what the scripture teach. Five steps forward, two steps back. I tell people as long as you're taking more forward steps than backward steps, then you're growing and celebrate that. It is not going to be upward and to the right, a straight line of unbroken growth. It's just not. We're people. We're flawed. We're not perfect. As a matter of fact, is there anybody here who's perfect? I don't want to leave you out. I'd like to call you out, but I don't want to leave you out. See, nobody's perfect. So that means our spiritual growth is going to be meandering. But if the overall trajectory is toward our goal of becoming more and more the man and woman God created us to be, then we're doing good. The key is to maintain that momentum. So our goal is to become more and more like the God or woman that God created us to be, and you're going to discuss this apart from God's Word. Seems kind of crazy to me. 
Once we start moving in the right direction, we don't want big U-turns. We don't want to crash in the ditch. We want to make sure we're continually progressing toward our goal. Even if it's a couple steps back, even though I've got to sit down and rest, I want to make sure I keep overall momentum moving in the right direction. We need to learn how to do that. But there's a problem. Life gets in the way. Stress gets in the way. Busyness gets in the way. Discouragement gets in the way. And because we're creatures of habit. What about Satan and our sinful flesh? You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what we're taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Not deliver us from stress. What we'll do if we're not careful is fall back into familiar patterns of behavior. Now, if your patterns of behavior are pretty healthy and pretty good, good for you. But if you've had patterns of behavior in your life that have been harmful to you. and So if my patterns of behavior are okay and that we can celebrate that, and that's pretty good. Then I don't need a crucified and risen Savior for that. And others, when stress happens, then a relapse can happen. When discouragement happens, then a relapse can happen. And what we want to learn today is to make sure that that doesn't happen in our life. Relapsing has a very predictable pattern. Relapsing begins with like a complacency. It's like, okay, I know I need to get healthy, and so I go to the gym. And now that I've been to the gym three times, I'm pretty well in shape now. I'm, I'm good. My issue isn't gone, but I'm obviously stronger than I was three days ago. And so I don't need to go as often now because I've, I've got this one licked. Weight loss is the issue. I, I've lost a pound and a half over the last three months, and I think now I'm on top of this thing. And so we say, well, I don't have to deal with my issue maybe as much as I once did. What happens is we give up on the progress and become a little complacent about it. The second part of a relapse is confusion. We, we start this mind game with ourselves that says, you know, maybe my issue wasn't as bad as I thought. And we begin to forget how bad it was, which prompted us to want to change our life in the first place. Maybe I'm a nice drunk, so being drunk's not so bad. Some people say I'm nicer than when I'm sober. So maybe, you see what happened? You know that debt, yeah, it, it kind of seems like I remember it was strangling me, but maybe it wasn't as bad. That gambling addiction, maybe I won more than I lost. Um... Yeah, this sounds like therapy talk. See what happens? We start this whole thing of confusion. Then we get to compromise. Compromise is, well, I can do it a little bit. It is the drunk that says, I'll go to the bar. It is the overeater that goes to Baskin-Robbins. It is the porn addict that goes to the adult bookstore. I can just do a little bit. I'll never let it get as bad as it once did. And then the next part of a relapse is catastrophe. And then, you know, rock bottom. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know a few of us have been there. And there. Okay, can I point something out here? Is, is that everything you're describing here along this spectrum technically is an egregious sin that we need to repent and be forgiven of? Um, you make it sound like, you know, these things are dire only when I hit rock bottom. The problem is, is that things are dire all along this spectrum you're describing. These are the sins that Christ died for. We are again. And it's like, really? I've let this happen in my life all over again.
It is a very predictable pattern. And the causes of a relapse are also predictable. Let me give you a couple of these. The first cause of a relapse is reverting to willpower. See, here's what we do. When we know we need to change, when we realize that we're impotent to change ourselves, we cry out to God and we say, God, my power is not enough. My willpower is not enough. I need your power. But then we get a couple successes under our belt and we begin to think, I think I can do this on my own. Well, that's why the Bible addresses this very issue. Look at Galatians 3.3. How can you be so foolish? You began by God's Spirit. Do you now want to finish by your own power? See, we forget that our power wasn't enough and we needed God's power. But the older we get, the more... Wait a second. You're reading Galatians 3.3 out of context. Galatians 3.3 is addressing the fact that the Galatian churches had been infected by a heresy, a heresy that basically said that Christ's death on the cross isn't enough. You are saved by grace and works. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is chastising the church in Galatia for having begun in the Spirit by believing by faith and then trying to, well, complete their salvation by works. Let me read it to you in context. Again, the three uh, primary rules for biblical interpretation are context, context, and context. Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, if it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, the contrast in Galatians 3 is salvation by works or salvation by faith. That's the contrast. It's not the contrast of, oh, spiritual momentum. You you, you can't have spiritual momentum without God's help. That's how he's reading Galatians 3, and that's not what the text says in context. But this is to be expected by a designer spirituality that hijacks Christian words, but doesn't pay any attention to what the Bible really says in context more we forget. Eventually, you know, I've lost a little weight, I've gone to the gym, I've reduced my debt. I mean, it's like we get a few successes under our belt. We start thinking like we did it. I must be the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-wise, all-wonderful one here. Heard about this middle-aged woman who went to a New York apartment on the 23rd floor. She went all the way up, knocked on the door. The door opened. Music was playing. A beautiful woman comes to the door wrapped in a sari, and she's, you know, clanging these little symbols in her hands, and incense is burning. And she says, are you here to see the guru? 
the all-wise, the all-knowing, the all-wonderful, the all-understanding, the one with all the answers. And the woman says, yeah, tell Sheldon it's his mother, and he forgot her birthday. <laughs> See, everybody here needs somebody to say, you're just Sheldon. I don't know who you think you are, but you're just Sheldon. Earth to Sheldon. There is a God, and you're not him. Everybody needs somebody in our life like that because a relapse will happen when we begin to think it's us. Look what Zechariah 4, 6 says. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, you'll succeed because of my spirit. Only God can change. Yeah, out of context. Notice another passage out of context. It's not even a full passage. We're not really getting biblical teaching here. This is a designer spirituality made to sound like something like Christianity. But really, it's more like psychology. Change your life. Only God can change my life. A second reason we'll relapse, number two, we ignore one of the steps. Don't we live in a culture that wants everything fast? I mean, if we can find a shortcut to health, if we can find a shortcut to wealth, if we can find a shortcut to spiritual maturity, we're going to take it. If we could microwave spiritual maturity, we would figure out how to do it and we'd do it because we want stuff fast. So here's what people will do. All right, Brad, I've listened to the previous six steps. I know you're going to teach us a seventh step here in a minute. And, you know, some of them I'll do. But like last week, go to the people I've heard and make amends. That one's hard. That one's really hard. So notice uh, sanctification via, via the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, this is not Christian sanctification at all. I'm not going to do that one. I'll do six out of seven. I'll, I'll do, you know, I'll do five out of eight. I'll, I'll bat a high percentage, but I'm just going to pick and choose the ones I want. Well, the problem with that is every step prepares us for the next. And if we skip a step, we won't do the next step right. That's how God teaches us. So we have to do the basics. So this is the Christianized version of celebrity we rehab. Got it. Okay. We have to take all the steps. We have to maintain momentum so that we maintain momentum. A third reason that we relapse is we try to recover without support. This is the person who says, I really don't need anybody else's help. And I probably don't want anybody else to know. And I think I'll do this all by myself. So, Brad, yeah, 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 small groups. Yeah, I hear you talking about getting a small group, build relationships. I hear, I don't need that. Yeah, 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 I know you have Celebrate Recovery and you have all these support groups for all the hurts, habits, and hang-ups of life. I know you got that. And there's a table out there, the literature. I've walked by, I've walked by that a hundred times. I know it's out there. I don't need that. Brad, I'm kind of the Lone Ranger. Well, newsflash, Lone Ranger. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Nobody... Is supposed to be a now keep in mind the Lone Ranger and Tonto are never mentioned in Scripture. Just just in case you were confused on that. Alone. Am I right? How many of you too young to even know who the Lone Ranger is? Yeah. Sad for you, Kimosabi. All right. Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Let's read it out loud together. Two are better off than one. Because if one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone... Yeah, again, out of context, this is just being wo woven together in a celebrate recovery psychology version of sanctification. ...and falls, it's too bad. Because there's nobody there to listen and lift him up or help him.
We need to pay attention to the great theologian, Bill Withers, who said, we all need somebody to lean on. Let's sing it together. (laughs) Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Are you ashamed about your issue? Don't give up the habit of meeting together. Are you an introvert? Take the step. Do not give up the habit of meeting together. Are you reluctant to talk to people about what's going on in your life? Do not give up the habit of meeting together because everybody needs somebody to lean on. Time for a gratuitous Fighting for the Faith musical interlude. Who knew this was a Christian hymn? I had no idea. Karaoke is free. That's a free portion of Fighting for the Faith. this has something to do with you know you need you need somebody to help you through the 12 steps of christian sanctification Of that back to the sermon number four we really 
relapse because we become prideful. Pride says, I got this one. But the Bible, relapse, psychology talk here. Bible says, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before what? Destruction. If you don't stay humble, you will stumble. It's the man who gets too big for his britches that's going to get exposed in the end. Think about that. Someone taught me one time the lesson of the whale. When you get to the top and you're ready to blow, that's when you'll be harpooned. We need to make sure that we stay humble people. Why? Because pride will destroy us. Pride goes right before destruction. You yeah, but this is prideful. This is nothing but pride to somehow think that you know better than God what spiritual growth is all about. Because you're not really rightly teaching God's word here. You are basically saying you know better than God. See, pride, just watch what's going to happen next. Pride gets us in all kinds of trouble. Pride sets us up for a fall. Pride blinds us to our own weakness. Pride keeps us from seeking help. Pride stops us from making amends with other people. It keeps us from taking all the steps fully. Here's what pride will do. Pride will make you blame someone else for your stuff. Well, I only did that because she... Well, I only did that because he... If my parents had only... And it's our stuff. But see, pride keeps us from owning it. Pride keeps us from confessing it. All right, so I'll own it. You got any forgiveness of sins that, that, that you can offer me then? Because that's what I own, my own sin. Heard about a guy who went to a psychiatrist and he says, I got a problem. I don't know what my problem is. The psychiatrist says, I think I can uncover your problem. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you a picture, and you just tell me what you see. And the guy says, all right. So he holds up a picture, and all it is is a square. It's a white piece of paper, black square, just a geometric square. But he holds up the square, he says, what do you see? And the guy says, you know what? That's like a window in, in an apartment, and inside that window, there's, there's a couple, and they're making out. And the psychiatrist said, oh. He holds up a picture. It's just a circle, white piece of paper, black circle. He says, what do you see? And the guy says, oh. He says, that's like the top of a beach umbrella on a white beach. And underneath that umbrella, there's a couple and they're making out. Huh. Psychiatrist holds up a triangle. It's just a triangle. He says, what do you see? He says, that's a teepee. And inside the teepee, there's a couple and they're making out. And the psychiatrist says, I know your problem. You're, you're obsessed with sex. The guy says, hey, it's your fault. You're the one showing me the dirty pictures. <laughs> now, there's a spiritual point to that. Here's the point. Everybody is susceptible to saying, hey, it's your fault. You're the one showing me. Do you see what I'm saying? That's pride. Pride keeps us from owning our stuff. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing, watch out. So this is a psychologized fortune cookie approach to Scripture. Just rip verses out of context. I mean, seriously. So that you do not fall. The secret to lasting recovery is humility. The secret to lasting humility is never saying, I've arrived. It's okay. It's okay to say, I'm on my way. But the minute we say, I got this one, that issue, gone, put the bed, over. The minute we say that, that's pride. And pride goes before what? Destruction. Let's jump to the solution side of all this. How do I prevent a relapse? How do I maintain momentum? When my life's beginning to change in a good direction, how do I keep that train going? Well, this is step seven. This is the maintenance step. Take a look at it. I must reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, 
Bible reading and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and gain the power to do it. This is all based on a verse in the Bible, Mark 14, verse 38. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing. Yeah, this is said to the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Oh, but the body is what? Wait, with God's help, I'm willing to change, but if I try to do it my own body, my own strength, I'm going to... Now, notice that by quoting these verses out of context, he's creating the impression that what he's actually teaching is what the Bible says, but he's not. None of the verses are quoted in context. All of them are out of context and highly psychologized, and this is not Christian sanctification. This is, well, 12-step recovery type talk, which we'd expect from a guy who does clinical therapy and stuff like that for a living. Gonna relapse. I want to give you three safeguards to keep you from relapsing and to help you maintain momentum when your life is moving in the right direction. The first is evaluation. Evaluation. First or second Corinthians thirteen says, check up on yourself. Lamentations three forty says, let us examine ourselves and let us repent which means let us turn in a right direction. Well, Brad, if I'm going to examine myself, what do I examine? Let me tell you a couple things to examine. Examine your body. How many of you have lived long enough, you're self-aware enough that you know that if something's going on around you, sometimes it shows up in physical symptoms? How many of you know this? You get too tired, you get too tense, something starts to ache, that kind of thing. We need to pay attention to our body. Our body can be a barometer of all kinds of things that are going on in our life. So we ask, what's my body saying to me? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I bored? Am I sick? You know, those kind of things. I know if things are not well with me physically, it can affect me emotionally, spiritually, in every other way. So I need to pay attention what's going on in my body. Here's something else I should evaluate and examine, and it's my emotions. How am I feeling right now? Am I being honest about my feelings? Do you really think the biblical authors had this in mind when they talked about examining yourself? Am I allowing my feelings to be expressed or am I pushing them down? How many of you have ever shaken up a, a soda bottle uh, or, or another beverage and, and then you take the top off and you know what happens? How many of you have ever done that? Oh, no, I've never done that. <laughs> Sophisticated people here in Westlake. Yeah, that's what we are. Shake that thing up, you hold that, but the minute you let it go, it blows. Some of us are time bombs like that. We keep the emotion stress. We let life just shake us, shake us, shake us. We don't deal with it. Rather than letting it out a little at a time, we blow our top. We've got to pay attention to our emotions. We also have to pay attention to our relationships. See, if something's not going wrong, right in my body, I could be susceptible to a relapse because I get tired, I get bored, I get lonely or whatever. Emotionally, if I'm not paying attention, I could be susceptible to a relapse. If my relationships are in conflict, I could be susceptible to a relapse. Why? Because I'm looking for comfort. And so I go back to familiar patterns. And if familiar patterns are self-destructive, then my life starts self-destructing again. So I have to pay attention. What's going on in the relationships around me? Some of you have relationships within proximity that are in conflict. People in your own home. People that you work with or go to school with. 
you have to deal with that because it can set you up for failure in other parts of your life. Some of you have relationships. Listen, some of you have had things that happened years ago by people who now live miles away, and you still carry it. Aunt Bertha, she hurt me 15 years ago. She lives 1,000 miles away. But I might see that rascal Aunt Bertha at Thanksgiving or the holidays. And you start getting tense and you wake up and Aunt Bertha's on your mind. You're allowing Aunt Bertha to live. Again, just a reminder, this is Kim Kardashian's pastor. And this is a designer religion made to sound like Christianity. But this is not Christian sanctification at all. Live rent-free in your head. And she doesn't even know it. But it's driving you. Say, well, relationships. Well, I don't know about relationships. Say, well, you need relationships. I need relationships too. The next thing, I have to examine my spirit. My spirit. Am I relying on God? Moment by moment, am I relying on God? Now, when I say examine yourself or do an evaluation of yourself, I'm not saying just look for the bad. We also look for the good. We also look for the victories. When somebody is the uh, fruit person, the produce person at the grocery store, you know, they have to make sure that the fresh bananas are out or the green bananas are out. But if those bananas have started to turn, they're, you know, getting brown or whatever, they take those off the shelf because they only want the good that's out there. They want the good apples. They want the good peaches. They want the good grapes, that kind of thing. And so they call out the bad, but what they're also doing when they evaluate, say this one's bad, but what they might say is this one's good, this one's good, this one's good. We also need to acknowledge our victories. So let's just suppose your issue is anger. Again, you got a Bible passage that says any of this? I mean, you're just imposing your psychological practice on the biblical text and teaching as, as if this is what the Bible says we need to do in order to have momentum in our spiritual growth. But the Bible doesn't teach this. And you get to the end of your day and you say, you know what? Six times today I was ticked off. But three of those times, I calmed down and didn't express it. Well, you could focus on the three times that you blew up and yelled or something like that, or you could say 50% of the time today, I had victory in my life. It's good to acknowledge the good, as important as it is to recognize what's not so good. See, Brad, when do I do this evaluation? Well, you kind of do it like you might clean the house. I don't know what kind of house cleaner you are. I mean, some of you are neat nicks. You got a dust buster and a holster. You know, it's on your it's on your hip and boom all day long. My mom used to wear an apron, and so she'd follow my brother and I through the house. No kidding. We remember this as kids because she was just a neat nick. And and now we understand, you know, as obsessive compulsive, whatever. We have words for my mother now, and so. She'll be watching this on video, and I love you, Mom. <laughs> Don't forget Christmas. <laughs> so she's got this apron, and she would literally polish the doorknobs when we would turn a doorknob and go out. Oh, I'll get that. That's the house we lived in. Some people clean like that. Some people, you're kind of end-of-the-day people. This is probably me a little bit. It's like, okay, there's stuff. So open the dishwasher and put it in. Shut that thing. Good to go. Some people, some people are like once a year whether you need it or not. You know, something's growing in the carpet. I'll get to that. You know, that's, that's kind of how you are. How do you do personal evaluation? Here's what I'd say. You do a combination of all three. You do some through the day 
on God. I would say, I would, not the Bible teaches, but I would say, these are his professional psychological opinions, not what God has revealed in his word. Going evaluation. Okay, I'm paying attention, and I'm kind of mad now. I better deal with this. Up oh, here comes that person, and I know I got conflict with them, but instead of turning and going the other way, I'm going to clean that up right now. I'm going to deal with that right now. And you kind of pick up, clean up through the day. Another good time to do it is the end of the day. How did this day go? What were the places where I sort of lost it? And then you confess that to God, ask him to forgive you, and you get to start fresh the next day. Or you say, you know what, through the day, I did that okay. I made some progress there, and I, I'm glad about that. Thank you, God, for helping me change. And then a lot of people do an annual evaluation. People tend to do this around New Year's coming up. You know, I want to make some New Year's resolutions. Well, resolutions are typically based on changes you want to make in your life. Some people do this on their birthdays. Birthdays can be really, you know, thoughtful, uh, a time where you ponder, how did this life go? Is this the life I'm wanting to live? What changes do I need to make? How did last year go? That kind of thing. And so we do a little every day, a little at the end of the day, and a little every year to make sure we're evaluating. That's one way we don't relapse. We evaluate. The second way is through meditation. We have evaluation, but we also have meditation. Now, meditation is a word that's used widely. It's a word that has all kinds of images that come to your mind whenever it's used. But let me just tell you what it means simply. Simply, meditation means focused thought. If I'm thinking about something over and over again, that's meditation. I'm focusing on this one topic at a time. Meditation is focused thought. So in the Christian sense, in the biblical sense, meditation, and it's a word that's used in the Bible dozens and dozens of times. In the Bible, what it means is I slow down my life long enough to focus on God. I slow down my life long enough to focus on what God has to say to me. A secret to spiritual growth. Yeah, um, you're not modeling that because you're ripping all these verses out of context. How can we know what God says to us when we don't even allow his word to speak to us in context so we can see God's thoughts and hear them in context? Both is focusing on God. And uh, a surefire way to relapse is to not give God any thought at all. Look what the Bible says. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. Happy are those who are always meditating on God's laws, that's the Bible, and thinking about ways to follow him closely. So notice what he's doing. Here's what the Bible says. What translation are you reading? Hang on a second here. Psalm 1. Let's read it together in context from a good translation. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now that's what the, that psalm says in context from a good translation. I don't think we're really hearing 
you know, God's word in context so that we can meditate on it and know what God's word says. In fact, we got a problem here because Dr. Brad, I don't know what translation, if a translation at all, is what he's reading from. We continue. Now I'm thinking about how to use that so that I can follow God closely. I'm meditating on that. Now look what happens for people who do this. They're like trees on a river and they do not dry up. And they what? Say it again. Succeed in everything they do. That's not what the Bible says from a good translation. Wow. It's like a tree, but not just a tree that's sitting on top of the ground. It's like a tree that has roots that's going down into the ground. And the Bible says that's exactly what good meditation will do. It'll take your thoughts deep into the things of God. And so we find the Scriptures our resource. We find the Scriptures to be our soil. And if our mind goes deep, if we allow ourselves to have focused thought, slow down long enough to pay attention to what God says in the Bible, it brings success to us in areas... Yeah, but you're not actually giving us focused thought on what God has said in the Bible. Fortune cookie style. Out of context, sentence here. Out of context, sentence there. Strung together on, you know, like a pearl. You know, pearls on a string. The problem is, is that these are all plastic pearls because you're not really teaching us what God's Word says. You're sitting here talking about focused thought and paying attention to what God says. All the while, you are not focusing on God and what his word says. You're ripping his word out of context and creating a tapestry of false doctrine and false teaching regarding sanctification. ...of life that once had been problems. Like, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Let's study it together and figure it out. But it is meditating. It's not like spiritual Ouija board. Heard about this one pastor, and a guy came up to him in his church. He said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Financially, I'm a wreck. I'm absolutely a wreck. I'm at the end of my rope. My finances, they're just uh, topsy-turvy. I don't know what to do. Pastor said, well, the Bible will help. And the guy says, well, what should I do? And the pastor says, just get a Bible, open the Bible, close your eyes, and just drop your finger, and whatever it says, do that. A couple weeks later, the pastor said, how'd that go for you? And the guy says, I did what you told me. I got a Bible. I opened the Bible. I closed my eyes. I dropped my finger. It said, chapter 11. I'm going to give you a minute. I'm not recommending that approach to Bible study. I'm not advocating that. That's like spiritual Ouija board. That's not what I'm advocating. The Bible says if they meditate, if the roots of your mind go deep in the soil of God's Word, then all of a sudden you're finding answers to questions that have plagued you for a long time. How do I meditate on God's Word? Look at Psalm 119. I thought much about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. God, I don't want to hurt your heart. I don't want to sin. I don't want to break your rules. I don't want to violate your principles. And, and yet you're talking about storing up God's Word and you're not even preaching any of it in context. I want success in my life and the only way to do that is to live life your way. See, Brad, I've never meditated. This is all law. Where's the gospel? Meditated. Yes, you have. How many of you have ever worried? Let me see your hands. How many of you are lying because your hand's not up? How many of you have ever worried? Let me see your hands. That's what I'm talking about. Worry is negative meditation. It's focused thought. 
Oh, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. I know what he's going to tell me. I'm overweight. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm meditating on the doctor or your finances or your relationship. Just pick a topic. If you've worried about it, that means you're thinking the thought over and over again. Focused thought is meditation. You've been meditating. You've just been doing it on the wrong thing. So instead of focusing on the negative in your life, we go to God's word and we focus on God's word. Does that make sense to you? That's what the Bible says. The third tool that will help you not relapse is prayer. Prayer taps into what God can do. That's not on your notes, but you might want to write it down. Prayer taps in to what God can do. God is standing near us all day long, every day of life, saying, let me help you. I'll help you carry that. You don't have to do that alone. You don't have to face that alone. You don't have to confront that alone. You don't have to go through that alone. God says, I'm right here to help you, but I'm a gentleman, God says, and I'll only help if you ask. But if you ask, I'll help you. Prayer is tapping in to what God can do. So you go to God the Father. And as soon as I say that, some of you say, God's like a father. Boy, my dad wasn't nice. I couldn't talk to my dad about anything. Some of you didn't have a good father concept, so when you hear God described as a father, it's like, oh, I wouldn't know how to talk to him. But God is described as the father. I've been a pretty good dad, but he's a better father than me. Had a pretty good dad, but he's a better father than my father. He's the dad all of us wish we could have every day. The one that you can go to and talk about anything. Well, really, Brad, I don't want to bother God. See, no, you're thinking about a human father now who only has so much time, so much patience, so many resources, so you don't want to use them. But how about a father who has all the time, the one who created time? How about a father who has all the resources you and everybody else on the planet will ever need and more? What if you could go to that kind of father and say, God, I got to talk to you about what I'm going through. That's who the Bible says God is. He'll listen to your financial issues. Every morning, Karen and I pray about it. Oh, that's great. He'll listen to my financial issues. Yeah, wow. Okay. Somehow this is good news. Every morning, Karen and I pray about our children. Every morning, Karen and I pray about our marriage. Every morning, Karen and I pray about whatever's coming up in the course of our day. Every morning we pray for our parents. Every morning we pray for our siblings. We do it before the day starts. We just, because you know what? I have found out the hard way. I don't do this perfectly, but I found out the hard way that if I try to go it alone, I go it alone. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the lamp, but I don't want to go it alone. And if God is there to help, prayer accesses what God can do. Are you following me? God is... Can, can you show me that from the Bible so that we can hear it from God's Word? and learn to think the thoughts that God had revealed for us to think along with them, the thoughts of God that transform our thoughts found in Scripture. Here you just tell me, oh, yeah, pa- pa- prayer does this, that, and the other thing. Great. Show me that from the Bible, please. He's a father who invites us to come to him because he desires to help us, and he has all the help we'll ever need. Yeah, it's a lot better than that. The Christianity, what the Bible teaches, it's so much more profound and deep than that. It's not that God's just waiting to help us. It's that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. 
big difference. Step seven is maintaining momentum. You do these evaluations through the course of your day. How's it going with me? And one of those is that spiritual, am I relying on God? Part of it's meditation. What are the thoughts I'm thinking? Does any of it have to do with the instruction and the principles that are found in the Word of God? Do I even know the Word of God? Brad, where, where would I even start? Well, maybe you can, like, model that by, you know, opening up to a section of Scripture and reading all of it in context and teaching from it exegetically. Well, I gave you an outline this morning that has a lot of Bible verses on it. Maybe you read one of those this morning and you thought, hmm, that's pretty good. A lot of Bible verses. Why don't you start there? Why don't you cut that one out, put it on your mirror while you're shaving or putting on your makeup or both? Uh, <laughs> maybe. Everybody's welcome here. You, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. I'm going to think about that verse. See what I'm saying? And then finally, prayer. I'm going to talk to God about it. Now, some people don't know what it means to pray. The Bible says pray all the time. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have ever butt-dialed someone? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Your phone's in the back pocket and you bumped into it or something, and then you look and say, oh, how long have you been there? Oh, you heard that. <laughs> you know? How many of you have ever done this? You're, you're in a conversation, you hang up, and you double-check to make sure it's disconnected because you want to talk about that person right now. How many of you have ever done that? Sure we have. See, with a phone, sometimes we don't want the phone line open. But what I want you to imagine is an open phone line with God all the time. So you can say, oh, you heard that? Okay, then you know what I'm going through. Oh, you, you saw my, my mail? Let's stack. Uh, then, then you know what I need. A little FaceTime here. Look at that. <laughs> right? It's an open phone line so that any time you can say, God, can we just pick up where we left off? And you never hang up. It's an ongoing conversation through the course of your day. You tracking with me? I want you to maintain momentum. I want your life to change in all the right ways. Even when it's hard, I don't want you to relapse. I don't want to relapse. God's given us the way to keep going. We can do it together. Let's pray. Uh, mm, man. All right. So uh, that's an example of um, designer spirituality masquerading as Christianity, kind of purpose-driven psychology all thrown together. And this isn't what the Bible teaches. This isn't Christian sanctification. There was no clear biblical teaching going on in this sermon. And so this is what Kim Kardashian, her mother, Kris Jenner, and, well, the other folks there at uh, this church, Life Change Community Church in Agoura Hills, that's what they're getting. But they're not getting really what the Bible teaches. They're not being taught the great doctrines of Scripture. And most importantly, who the scriptures are about. This is just basically ripping a verse here, ripping a verse there, ripping a verse here, and then talking about my life change and how to maintain my spiritual growth momentum thingy using something akin to the 12 steps of recovery. 
Christianity is so much better than this. This is poverty-stricken. This has no real transforming power. Ultimately, this isn't humble. This is arrogant. And so what do we do at this point? Well, we pray for the folks there at Life Change Community Church. Pray that God would open their eyes to the real story, to the real gospel, to real Christian sanctification and what the Bible really teaches so that they repent and are forgiven. Because those who are forgiven much love much. That's our prayer. That's our prayer for Kim Kardashian, her mother, her pastor, and all the people there at this church plant. They're not being taught the truth. They don't believe the truth. They've created a designer religion, all in the name of Christianity, that, well, it's a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof, scratches itching ears, keeps Satan's victims comfortable and self-obsessed until that day when he can kill them and drag them to hell, plain and simple. Our prayers should go out for them. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till Monday, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. That's the good news. Amen.